Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. You talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. And today we are coming live to you from Storyfest. And today I would like to welcome uh, James Layton. He is one of the sponsors for Somerset Storyfest from Larrikin House. Hi, James. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me on. And more importantly, we have Louise <laughs> Park. Clearly, the picking order has been established. <laughs> we have Louise Park, superstar, three Ooh. years in a row at oh Somerset Storyfest. <laughs> Welcome, Louise. Oh, thank you for having me on. Actually, I haven't been three years in a row at Story at Somerset Storyfest. I was at this festival last year, and then I went to Longreach at Storyfest uh-huh. out west in July. Which sort of counts, right? Oh, it was a blast. <laughs> it was such a good time. And then I was lucky enough to be asked to come back this time to step in for an author who was unwell. So well, you must be fabulous. Bonus for me. So I'm happy. tell us about Longreach because Longreach happens in the middle of the year. Still yes. a Somerset yes. sort of thing. Tell us about that. It's Somerset out west, literally. Mm. So they they fly us all in, or they fly all the authors in, and that that's a pretty cool thing as well because everybody's brought together in Brisbane, and then all the authors are on this little tiny plane out with the board with with everyone, which you know it's a fun flight. Um, and then basically you're in the you know the the country showground, and you're presenting in the showground, and the kids are bust in and. Their govies come and the kids that are homeschooled, they come in and it's just a whole different vibe, but it's so fantastic. Mm. And those children out there, they hold no prisoners, you know, they're on the, they're, they're on the land, they're riding bikes at 10 and they're shooting stuff and that's so fresh. They're just so fresh. And I got to I actually got to talk to their govies and their teachers on the long distance ed teachers in a three hour workshop on the last day, which was really terrific. Sorry to be enough enough. What's a govy? Uh, a govy is like their nanny come tutor. Ah, so their homeschooling oh, yeah, kind of, of yeah, governor stroke tutor. Ah. That's great. That's oh, really good. That's fantastic. So a little bit of background about Somerset's story first. So this is, is Somerset's the largest kids literary festival in the country, I think. Andrew was saying they've sold 21,000 student tickets this mm, year. Amazing. Isn't that incredible? Uh, over 100 schools, so it's, it's big. So on campus yeah. here in the Gold Coast, this is massive and awesome. Yeah. So yeah, how are you finding it this year, Louise? Different to last year when you were here? Because last year we were still kind of getting over COVID a little bit. Yes. The numbers were down slightly. Yes. You've just got to roll with the punches. I I don't really notice the low numbers as opposed to here now, the 21,000, because it just mm. seemed as busy last year. Mm-hmm. Interesting that Longreach, there'd been a death in the community and it was a small community. And so mm. some sessions up there had like five people in them because they yeah, were all wow. at the funeral yeah. one day. So th- th- you just roll with it. Mm. But yeah. um, 
20 buses came in today from wow. schools. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> and I had about 450 in that last session. Wow. And I had at least, I went through them while I had at least about seven schools in there, which is just so wow. special. Mm. Schools that would never get to see an author. Yeah. Some so, schools that are sponsored to come here. That's you know? amazing. So what does a session look like for you? Uh, that session is a lot of sweat. <laughs> and a lot of hot. I'm jumping around. We had some seat dancing. <laughs> um, we played villain trivia. We had a little villain trivia. I My session was looking at heroes and villains and how you don't have one without the other and uh, what makes a good villain, what makes a good hero, how they drive your plot. And also the fact that a villain doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It can be the environment, yeah. flood, bushfire, mm -hmm. war. You know, or it can be you. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. it could be your inner conflict, yeah. couldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it was a great session. They have great ideas and uh, talked about my books and, yes. yeah, terrific. But what do you love about coming to festivals that have so many kids in there? Because it's a different kind of festival. You know, there's sometimes festivals, lots of writers and authors which have a different vibe and are just as valuable. Mm. But this is a bit special because it has so many kids. So mm. what do you love about that? I actually do love the whole performance thing because, you know, you're in this massive environment with all these kids and I'll do different things. Like I did a series fiction showdown, which was like using, I've got six series in total and I was, I was playing these kids up and I had them up on stage and it doesn't matter whether you get the answers right or wrong, it's just a ball. So it was a full like a cahoots, live cahoots style thing and you can't really do that with a small yeah. group. So the style of presentation you do is, is much more boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yep. for a reclusive little writer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is a different environment for a lot of writers because a lot of writers I met are kind of somewhat, I'd call them probably extroverted introverts, you know, or, or outgoing introverts. They love their own time, their own space. It's part of why they're writing. But then they have to get up on a stage in front of 500 kids and suddenly yeah. do this thing. And they're yeah. often really, really good at it. Like they're, but then what happens after? Do they all come out and then crash? Like how do you go after it, doing a, a large session like that? I'm actually a really quiet person. <laughs> I know you're laughing, but I'm a quiet person. I'm the person that will do the big performance and then go and lay in the bath with a glass of wine and nobody talk to me for two hours. Like. So we'll run you the bath. I'm not sure if there's a bath here, but I'll find you one. But the buzz of it, like it just gets you through. The kids are so excited and they're, they're putting their hands up and they're dancing in their seats and, you know, you just get all whipped up in it. But, but yeah, when you, when you leave and you come away, you're like, oh, because I don't think I talk that much in a month. <laughs> and you can hear the vibe. I love doing um, live podcasts at festivals because we're right next to the green room. So you can hear that yes. really excited vibe, which is actually yes. a really nice part of, you know, part of the whole festival. So we went to the prologue party last night and just give us a rundown of the vibe of this place. Oh my goodness. From your that... perspective at the gin bar. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't leave all night. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there is a photo of me and I'm holding two gins and somebody posted it and the, the comment said, why, you, why do you have two gins? And I said, I'm holding the photographer's gin. Yeah, right. Oh, good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just find it extraordinary. I mean, Bluey was here in his own photo booth and there was a little girl with an electric tutu on that lit up. Like, you know, and there's fire readers and there are all the characters from Movie World and the fairy lights and the fireworks and the food trucks and 
and children everywhere and and so much so much joy yeah. like just so much joy it is joy Everyone joy and over the top life. like there's nothing better than having joy in things that are just yeah. over the top and excessive i love that i know and i just wonder do these children have any idea how lucky they are yeah you know absolutely i don't think i didn't so i certainly didn't have anything like that Danny looked like that standing next to Batman last night. Did you know how lucky she is? I did like standing next to Batman last night. I think there were a few people wanting to stand next to Batman. Tristan Banks said he was going to walk with Batman. I said, but now I can't tell you apart. Oh, oh you know how to win friends and influence people. So your latest book, tell us about your latest book. My latest book is called Last Man Out and it is um, written from my grandfather's eyes and I've used his letters, his diaries, his articles, his notes. If you were to pick up any adult book on Gallipoli, mm. he will be quoted in it mm. because wow. he was lucky enough to get out. Mm. And he was literally the last man out. Wow. And I've got a letter from Birdwood, virtually. He wrote to Birdwood to say, people are telling me I was the last man out. Is, this, mm. is it true? And Birdwood wrote back and said... Suvla was out as well, two different areas, but in Anzac Co, he was the last man out. Mm. So it's very much, it's a story about loyalty and about having each other's backs no matter what and about what it takes to actually say, I will stay and hold the line and fight for you while 38,000 sneak away. Wow. And that was what they asked of them. So Big they story. asked. Yeah. So they wanted 2,000 men, the fittest and the steadiest, to stay behind and pretend mm. to be an army of 40,000 while the wow. others wow. snuck away. Wow. Um, and my grandfather was in that group and he was an engineer and he, he did the tunnels and he did the mines and he did the explosives. So he was the last man wow. out because wow. he was manning the explosives mm. and if the Turkish attacked, he was to blow the mines. Yeah. They told them it was a suicide mission. They told them that there wouldn't be a boat waiting for them. They told them if they got captured to kill themselves. Oh, wow. And the book just follows that drop of 2,000 down to, you know, 160 and then wow. 24. And there were 24 running up and down the trenches pretending to be 40,000. They mm. had a technique they were using to self-fire rifles with jam tins, mm. but that, mm. you know, it didn't do a lot. Mm. Uh, and my grandfather actually wrote of that 24, and I love, I love saying this in my sessions, uh, he wrote of that 24, it was like an international cricket match mm. because there was every colony in the empire mm. represented in that yeah, 24. Yeah. So I say to these kids, do you have Indian descent? Mm. You were there. Do you mm. have, you know, mm. because they were there. Mm. And then it drops to two, and it's just uh. my grandfather and wow. Lieutenant Riddle. Uh. Yeah, and... He actually writes at one point, if there is ever a man I would want to mm. die with, it is Riddle. Mm. And he knows he's going to die and he chooses mm. to do that. And also, what does it take for 38,000 soldiers to actually follow, follow that instruction that no matter what you hear, no matter what mm. you see, you are not allowed to turn around and help them, you are to walk away mm. after you have been fighting side by wow. side. Mm together it's against human nature isn't it both sides are heroes because mm. i don't think i could walk away and leave mm. somebody i have been with for mm. nine months fighting yeah. like mm. that yeah. because i was told to but they had to it was their orders do you reckon any any of them knew what they were getting into going in like they sign up for to go 
No. And surely no. they must have at some point think, oh wow, yeah. this is probably bigger than they yeah. expected. But then yeah. the bravery that's come out and all the men that they grew yeah. into. Yeah. It's because the stories are remarkable. My grandfather definitely knew because he'd been at the Boer War and he was 36 mm. when he went to Gallipoli. Yeah, okay. But for those young ones, mm. and I talk about it, there was a pivot point where there was a massive snowstorm in November and a lot of our men died frozen to their guns in their trenches. Oh, wow. Because they had daggy little trench coats wow. and a hat and just were not equipped for that yeah, kind of yeah, snow. Wow. But when it did snow, all of those young men that had never seen snow before got so excited and didn't know what they were in for. And we lost a lot of men to the snowstorm and then it melted and it flooded the ravines and the dugouts and the gullies. It washed men out of the trenches. They drowned. Then that wasn't enough that they then lost men in the floods. Then it turned to ice. And while they were trying to help each other, they were breaking bones and slipping and... Yeah. And Kitchener came over then and my grandfather took him for a tour of the the whole thing and the tunnels and that was when he decided it's time to pull out. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah. for those young those young boys, I, and they were so young, yeah. they were so young and they just had no idea what they were in for yeah. really. It's just horrific, isn't it? What do you want kids to get out of that story? I think the, I, I think the big message in that book is there are people that, in extreme adversity, they can still find ways to help other people. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I hope that by seeing that, that it will raise them up to know that you can actually do that. Firefighters mm-hmm. running into a fire while people are running out. Mm-hmm. People in floods rescuing people off roofs of houses. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's mm-hmm. all the same stuff. If you can find a way to, to rise above yourself to try and help someone else, then I think that's a really worthwhile thing. I also know that there's a whole whole swathe of people out there and generations that have no idea what was asked of 2,000 men. Yeah. Mm. There's lots of talk about Gallipoli, but there's not a lot of talk about, you know, that 2,000 men. No. It's the personal stories that really touch you. You know, you can hear statistics and, you know, they're horrifying, etc. but when you hear these really personal stories, yes. it's different, isn't it? It's yes. really different. Yes, and yeah. I've just had the most extraordinary experience. Mm. I just mm. finished that session. And my grandfather had a friend, an indigenous soldier from Queensland, and they were together at the Boer War and they were together in Gallipoli and they were both 36. The teacher sitting in the front row was her grandfather. No. Wow. (laughs) My goodness. And they were running to another session and I said, you have to come and find me at lunchtime. Oh, my God, like goosebumps. Goosebumps. You had a lot of And she's showing his photo to me on the phone. I'm like, it's him, it's him. But he changed his name, which was really interesting. And apparently that happened a lot. Wow. Yeah, so, and that's the sort of stuff that's awesome yeah, when you're yeah. at a place like Amazing. this. Kids want to tell you their family histories and, you know, you're chased yeah. while they're madly telling you stuff. And that's engagement, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Have we got time for the sausage story? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Oh, not the sausage, no, we're not going there. Very funny story <laughs> in private yesterday, which obviously can't So when you see Louise in person, maybe ask her about ask the sausage about story. The sausage we're going to keep that off air, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that being an author and going into schools and doing school visits, and I've done it for a long, long time, I thought I'd heard everything, but no. <laughs> Certainly kept us laughing last night at the prologue party. Good. Good. Um, so what's next for you, Louise, in terms of writing? What's what's happening? 
I'm working on an adult book with my daughter, which wow. is interesting. Um, I'm looking at doing something more with Boy vs. Beast, but that's that's another thing. I'm also looking at a very cool project. Am I allowed to talk about it? I don't know. Why not? Why not? Yeah, uh, of course. Really? Yeah. Cool. Okay, so um, I've got this series idea that I have pitched to two very lovely people, <laughs> James and Danny. Oh, you lost me at lovely. I was confused. Um, and we're working on that together, and I'm hoping to um, really nail that very shortly. So very excited about that because I've got quite a few festivals coming up in the next 18 months and I mm. dearly love to be presenting mm. that. Mm. Mm. And it's great how you can go from that really serious, uh, heartfelt story that's yeah. personal to you and then you can flip yeah. over to something that's really fun. So <coughs> and I the one that. I'm doing with my daughter is the same. It's a heartfelt story and I've written for adults as well and I do like that jumping in and out of all the different yeah, yeah. genres. It's good, I think. Keeps me alive. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you write? Last question, what do you write? What do I... Why do you write? Oh, why do I write? Oh my God, I can't... I tell kids, and this is fair income, my characters visit me in my sleep, which is why I have bags under my eyes. They won't leave me alone. The chatter is incessant, and that is why I write. They will not stop. And it already starts in my dreams. Another book is happening. And my grandfather visited me in my dreams four times while I was working on that book. And I was really grateful for it because I found that the most stressful. He wasn't here to say, are you okay with this? Mm -hmm. Am I doing an all right job of this? What do you want to, what, do you, what message do you want to get across? I really was, I agonised about whether I was doing a good enough job. Yeah. Um, and it was nice of him to visit me in my wow. dreams. He stood on my, leaned against my door jam and just laughed at me one night. And I was like, yeah. great, go yeah. away. <laughs> you think I'm funny? Go away. Well, you can't discount those experiences. And I think so many of us have had those kind of experiences. And I think yeah. they're really special when they happen. So you can't yeah. ignore them. Well, there is a line in my book that I had to correct because in my dream, he, he said, he sat on the end of my bed and said, Louise, I told you to write clods clinging on the bottom of their boots. Why didn't you write that? And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Straight to manuscript. <laughs> That's real. That's a real story. I love it. That is why I write. So every time I finish a book and I think, okay, I wonder what I'll write next. Something just happens in my yeah. in my dreams and I'm you done. You are good at storytelling, not only in your books, but at <laughs> prologue parties. Everyone well. else says they write for the money, but here's Louise. <laughs> True artist. <laughs> I think, oh no, believe me, I write for the money. Believe me. Believe me. And it's not, you know, well, I might have to do a few other things as well for the money. <laughs> if you write, if you want money, you're probably not no. going to become an author. You're probably no, going to find no. a different path. Thank you so much, Louise. Always love chatting to you. So thank you for talking to us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on the podcast.